Hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> this is Sarah Westcott. This is Katie Willie. And this is To Be Read. The podcast where we talk about books and the cocktails that go with them. And we do have a wonderfully special guest with us today. We do. Ba-ba. It's Santa. Produ- Producer Chris. <laughs> Hello. I, I dread the day that kids confuse me with Santa, but it's bound to happen, I'm sure, at some point. Maybe, um, maybe. You just need a bit of a longer beard going on and, you know, a, a red a hat. Bit you either live long <laughs> enough to become Santa or you die as an elf on the shelf, I think is how that works. <laughs> that was a good one. I like it. I like it. Um, I think we had discussed that we're not going to do too much preamble today because um, I have a concert to get to, a winter concert for my son to get to. Um, so we're kind of just going to jump in, but before we start really quickly, how is everybody? Is everybody doing well? Like Christmas is almost coming. Is everybody ready? Kim, what are you doing for Christmas? Like what's going on? So I am, I guess, ready for Christmas. So I have a very sad little Christmas tree up, but that's fine. Um, cause I just like the lights and I'll be going to my parents' house. Uh, they live in Florida now. Be going down there like the 21st through... I don't know. I'll be there like six days, which feels like too long, but it'll be fine. It'll be good. <laughs> it'll it'll probably be too long after maybe two days. <laughs> yeah. but it'll be warm. That's that's true. That's one of the best parts. Uh, Katie, how about you? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I hate this month, so you know it'll be over eventually. Just like because of stress or what? Yeah, birthdays, holidays, parties, practices, games, all yeah. of every everything there's never a not time so i know what what'd you say sam i said i'm uh end of your closeouts for like work and stuff too like oh yeah stressful around my company too where it's yeah like even like right up until new year's eve people are still like closing stuff so you don't really get to relax until it's actually new year's and you can actually take a day off or two i think we can all just agree that you know work uh not always fun. <laughs> no. Uh, we do the work so then we can do the fun things afterwards. So anyway, um, so wh- why don't we just, without like further ado, why don't we just go into our prologue? Does that work for everybody? Yep. Let's get it started. The prologue. Um, okay, guys. So we read uh, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Um, I think I said that right. Um, it was... Published on July 5th, 2022. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm sure everybody realizes this now, but the title comes from a line in Macbeth, which is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty place uh, from day to day. And I, it is mentioned in the book, obviously, um, but most people probably have heard that quote more often from Hamilton than anything else. Honestly. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that Hamilton writes um, Angelica a letter in in that story and uh he he sings that you know tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty place from day to day anyway um let's see let's see let's see and uh basically okay, that quote from world that posits that hamilton is more popular than shakespeare and Macbeth, <laughs> but that's I know, fine i know yeah, I, honestly culture, I, it. I don't think i ever read Macbeth. i mean i read like you know i read hamlet and um romeo and juliet of course but uh Macbeth wasn't on the on the school reading list but Anyway, um, that quote in particular um, sums up the futility of life, and it kind of tracks a little bit with this book. If obviously, you know, I mean, because like, you know, you're you're living this life, and it it's um, whatever. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like, 
only almost with it, especially in the gaming sense, how you can kind of live different lives. And that's where the whole multiverse system comes in. And we'll talk about that a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. So you're, like uh, really, I, you're really diving into it. We're not even going to talk about our, our drinks. We're just oh, gonna... no, hang on. These hang on. These are my things first. We got to we got to do this first. Um, so I read I, a little. I listened to the episodes while I edit them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, so I was reading it. I was reading a New York Times article and it said that um, this book parale parallels Gabrielle Zevin's um, meandering path as a novelist, basically. Um, she became a gamer herself uh, when her dad brought home a computer that was preloaded with games. I know everybody had these computers when we were younger that had like random games preloaded on them. And um, one of hers, of course, included Oregon Trail, which I thought was obvious, you know, whatever. Um, I. I don't know about you guys, but I remember my preloaded computer game was called Cosmic Cosmo, and he was like an alien guy with suction cup hands, and he was, could like climb things. Did, did you play that game at all? <laughs> I don't know if I had that one specifically, but I do remember, you know, like we they called it freeware back in the day or shareware, uh, yeah. which it was specifically like demos that you were meant to share on the giant floppy disks that if we have any younger readers, you have no idea what those look like but they were the size of a, a napkin. You know, they were huge. Yep. And yes, I played like Doom, like Doom when that first came out in like 93, where it's like, oh, my parents are like, oh, cool, you've got a computer game to play. And what exactly is it that you're doing to that? Do <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they were actually well, pretty cool with it. Um, well, Katie, that, con that concludes my um, little facts part. So why don't you give us the reader render on really quick before we talk about our drink? You got it. On a bitter cold day in the December of his junior year at Harvard, Sam Mazur exits a subway car and sees, amid the hordes of people waiting on the platform, Sadie Green. He calls her name. For a moment, she pretends she hasn't heard him, but then she turns and a game begins, a legendary collaboration that will launch them to stardom. These friends, intimate since childhood, borrow money, beg favors, and before even graduating college, they have created their first blockbuster, Ichigo. Overnight, the world is theirs. Not even 25 years old, Sam and Sadie are brilliant, successful, and rich, but these qualities won't protect them from their own creative ambitions or the betrayals of their hearts. Spanning 30 years from Cambridge, Massachusetts to Venice Beach, California, and lands in between and far beyond, Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is a dazzling and intricately imagined novel that examines the multifarious nature of identity, disability, failure, the redemptive possibilities in play, and above all, our need to connect, to be loved, and to love. Yes, it is a love story, but it is not one you have read before. <laughs> I like that. Um, all right. So what is everybody drinking? We're, we're not together. We didn't say that. The three of us are on a, a phone recording. We're not together. And we all decided that we would drink separate things. But why don't we go around the go around the room and, sit and tell us what we're drinking, right? <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and start? Yeah. Who, me? Yeah. Okay, so I'm drinking, um, I, like, I didn't want to make anything in particular, but um, John bought these uh, uh, nitro stout um, beers, and I love a, I love a nitro stout, and um, a stout is a very holiday, Christmassy type thing, and I just, it just felt right to drink on a, on a Monday afternoon, so that's what I'm drinking. <laughs> so uh chris was actually the suggester of this book and as such he did suggest a cocktail which is you know the pre-spiked eggnog and i mm -hmm. would like to say cheers chris because i am fairly certain we have the same thing we good do for you guys cheers how, yeah, I, how I is it pbr cup <clears throat> well you don't like nog in general right so it's tough to no. explain to you 
how it's good. It tastes very similar to regular eggnog. It just has like a little bit of rum. It, it depends on the brand you get. Mine is like the Jim Beam one, which has bourbon, but they can have a bunch of different boozes in it. I, I think it tastes great. Mine is Evan Williams, and I think it tastes a thousand times better than eggnog because I think eggnog yeah. itself is yeah. disgusting. So couldn't you just couldn't you just buy eggnog and then put whatever you wanted into it too? Like you didn't have to you don't have to buy like a pre like made one, right? Yeah, but I don't like the stuff from the store. It's too th that's too thick. This is like already thinned oh. out. So I oh, yeah. it's like fucking milkshake style, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I like it. And it's also, easy. and the reason why you wouldn't do it necessarily is because you can buy this for at least for me, anyways, right at the liquor store, and it's like. It was under 20 bucks. I don't have to mix anything. You just throw it mm -hmm. in the fridge and then it's it's good to go. I did yep. say the other day when I bought these that I had a very light anecdote. Um, a couple, by five, six years ago at Cass's mom's house for Christmas, her stepdad at the time, Jim, was a big guy, probably drinks 15 to 18 beers per day, doesn't even get drunk, right? He's a, <laughs> he's a professional drinker. Um, and I'm young and silly and he's like, got all these, he's got like five or six of these handles of this eggnog. And for whatever reason, I like accepted the, the gauntlet he threw down to, to keep up with him. Um, <laughs> Smart. And so like, you know, at, yeah, at, at the end of the night, you know, my, my parents lived about 10 minutes from, from uh, where Sue, her mom lived. And so like, we got dropped off and like Jim, like came out of the truck and was like had his shirt off, like dancing in my parents' driveway. Um, so it was like very funny that it was just like, there you go, see you later. We're just like dropping me off, and I was a, a wild man. But it was, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, some some memories coming back when I was buying this, and I will not be drinking this whole handle tonight, or I had best not, anyways. For that's that's a good plan. That's a good plan. Yeah, GI health in 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 general as well. Well, now that we have all uh, discussed our drinks that we're drinking, why don't we move on to the story and talk about this book? What do you think? The story. Um, okay, guys. So, I mean, I guess I'm just going to ask you. Uh, I'm going to start with producer Chris today, just because you know he's our he's our guest and he is the one who I I know that we had all wanted to read this book, but he is the one who brought up that he um, wanted to read it specifically for the podcast and um, said he wanted to be a part of it. So, what did you think of the book, Chris? Um, Damn. Thanks. Yeah. Well, first off, I brought it to brought it to you guys because I needed a reason to read it. And if it was just on my own, I probably wouldn't. So having a homework assignment, even a pleasant one, uh, gave me the ambition to finish it. I um I finished reading it last night and I enjoyed quite a lot of it. But there was also a lot of it that really frustrated me, um, mostly because I am a big video game person. I think of the three of us here, I'm the only one that would call myself a capital G gamer. Um, and if you look at me, you can probably get that. Um, Is but that, I, chair that we can see in the background. What's that, that chair, the, the gamer chair? video game chair in the background that we can see it is a gamer chair but i really did buy it because this is, this is my my command center my work from homes so i just needed a nice chair that wasn't going to be like a 1500 herman miller or aaron or whatever and this was you know much cheaper than that um but i had i had heard about this book from a couple different podcasts i listened to um and they were like Oh my God! Time loops, all this. They were like, a, they were on a subject of time loops, and you got to read this tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I visit my sister; she has it on the shelf. I said, "Can I borrow that?" She said, "Yes." And then I bring it to you guys. And so as I'm reading it, 
and I texted you guys. I don't know if I texted you, Sarah, the the group, but I was like halfway through it, and I'm like, I don't think I'm getting the like the Groundhog's Day, you know, Edge of Tomorrow time loop here. Um, and there was some expectations unmet there that had initially very much frustrated me. But it also very much is written like a video game. Um, I could tell clearly that she plays a lot of games. And not only does she mention, you know, what I would probably call deep cuts for regular people, but like every game that she lists in there is real. I've heard of it. I know why she brought it up. Um, but there was, especially towards the end of it too, where, you know, about five, six of the way through the book, you finally get the virtual world that I had kind of been expecting we were going to spend most of the book in um and then it ends right it ends and i normally read things on kindle and i try to turn off the little indicator on the bottom so that i'm almost surprised when the book ends other than just catching the natural rhythms of the story wrapping up um and so then when i got to that last chapter and i had just like a tiny sliver of pages left i'm like this is gonna end probably in the way that it should right that life works is that not everything is nice and clean and tidy and unlike a video game where you do control every single one and zero you put in there so that it hopefully becomes exactly what you want it doesn't and in fact leaves you on quite a cliffhanger which is also very video game like and i would i'm sure that she's probably gotten requests to do a sequel i hope that she never would i hope she never would you have and, and i know sim i've certainly talked to you about this enough I'm a no sequel, no remake, no anything. You have you have a good idea for one thing. Um, I think about like a show like Yellow Jackets, right? I don't know if either of you guys have watched that. But it's like sometimes you have a nice mystery and that you shouldn't just keep going. You just mm-hmm. leave it. Like you have you had the thing that was so perfect there. And anytime you go and revisit it, you only can make it worse. And they talk about they they do they dance around this with Ichigo 3, right? They keep saying for like 15 years, people keep wanting to do it. And they're like, eh, I don't want to. And I think that, you know, just it very much ties into the whole the whole thread that she was trying to tug on. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Katie, what about you? How do you feel about the book? Did you like it? Um, um, I did like it. And I had ordered it on Pango. And when I got it, I think I just put it on the shelf without even thinking about it because I had ordered it a while ago, pretty much when we first added it. And uh, when I got to go pick it up, when I had to go pick it up, I was just like, wow, it's pretty thick. Yeah. <laughs> um, but overall, I, I, you know, I, there was a lot of the video game messages and the, and the mentions and the, the pop culture references that I did very much enjoy. But I have played a lot of the games. The Duck Hunt spoke directly to my soul, playing Duck Hunt. <laughs> playing Duck Hunt. Um, I didn't. I, I felt like I was very frustrated with the relationship that they had. And I felt like um, for the fact that they had bonded so young and the reason that they had bonded, he, he wasn't speaking and he started talking to her. And the fact that that didn't ever come back around where they had a great communication between each other. Like I felt like because of how the relationship started, they should have been able to tell each other anything at any point yeah. in time. And that frustrated me that that didn't blossom that way. Um, but I did, I, I very much enjoyed it. It was, I liked it more than I thought I would, um, knowing that it was about video games and having, we had previously read Ready Player One and that was kind of interesting to discuss. Um, but I, I did like it. I, and I did really very much like all three of the main characters a lot. 
Me too. Um, but it wasn't, it, I'm not, I'm not going to praise it and try to pass it on nearly as much as I do with some of the other books, but I enjoyed it. Okay. Um, I, I, I have very similar feelings to you guys. I really, I, I, I think, I think I, when I first read it and finished it, I finished it, a, um, a couple weeks ago, I think. So like it, and it sat with me for a little bit. Um, I think when I first finished it, I was really high on the book. I was very like, um, I really, really, really enjoyed that. My only, my only problem with it is I feel like it was just a smidge too long. It probably could have had uh, you know, at least a hundred pages removed and it still would have been the same story in my opinion and um, whatever. I, just, I felt that was a lot of ex extraneous stuff that really didn't need to be there. And a lot of it having to do with like um, the times when, when our three main characters are, are not really together and, you know, and apart and um, you know, some of the, some of the longing that Sam does for Sadie. And uh, I, I found myself a little frustrated by, by their relationship. Um, I just, I, I, of course I, I felt like I wanted them to be together because I was like, oh, these, these two, they seem like soulmates. They, they should be together. But in the, in the end, to me, they do feel like more of a friendship soulmate than anything else. Mm -hmm. I, I really do think that Sadie and, and, um, um, Marks were the better, um, Marks, right? That's his yep. name, right? <laughs> okay. Marks were the better pair. And I loved them together, even though part of me was like, how dare they? How dare they? You know, whatever. Um, but I I did, I, I enjoyed it as I was reading it. I flew through it. Um, and there were parts to me that felt a little bit weird. I didn't love the whole um this this and I think this is where the multiversal stuff comes through, Sim, which is what I was telling you about. Like I didn't love the part where it the whole the whole chapter was them inside of a game and you mm -hmm. realize pretty quickly that one of them is her and one of them is him. And, you know, like I, I do love that they got to live out different lives and they got to fall in love and be together in a, in a way, but like, it was, you know, it was a manipulation of, of Mazers and that was frustrating. And it was frustrating for Sadie when she found out and, you know, but at the same time, you know, they'd say, you know, she always knew it deep down. She always knew that it was actually him. Um, so yeah, their relationship frustrated me, frustrated me a little bit. Um, I am the kind of person as Katie and you both know, um, I, I am the kind of person who likes a tidy bow wrapped up on my stuff, but there are things that I, I don't, there are times when I don't feel like it's necessary. And I think that this is one of those times I really, I actually really liked the way that it ended with them, um, at least being able to talk to each other again and friendly, but like not, not coming together in a in a in a romantic relationship type way even though that is kind of almost like it seems like it might happen you know what i mean it seems like yeah. the the embers are there a little bit um but uh i i did like the way that it ended with the two of them so um overall i really enjoyed myself reading this book so that's it that's all that's all i have to say no are we done no i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here smirking um and i actually have a I have a couple of things I want to go back to, but like the, yes, it's frustrating, but also this is pretty, at least for me, this is pretty close to real life, right? Like, and I get that we do have a gender divide here. The way that we do think is a little different about some of this stuff. Um, but like the fact I've certainly been here plenty of times, especially recently where it's like, you know, there's a thing you, you should say to the other person, especially somebody you care very deeply mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. There's something you should say. 
there's something you need to say that thing you will not say and in fact you're going to say probably the opposite um <laughs> even if it doesn't help you uh but it right. may be good at the time um there's a lot of what she wrote about sam from the very beginning and it makes me do wonder if she spent a lot of time in the hospital as a kid um because i don't think about this a lot right but i'm a diabetic i spent a couple weeks in the hospital when i was slightly older than slightly younger than sam would have been i, I was five but like i have pretty vivid memories of hanging out in like you know the sick kid tv room and i didn't have a sadie there with me necessarily right i watched a lot of turtles 2 secrets of the U. <laughs> a, couple, a couple scenes i re remember very vividly um but like i think that there's a bit of having having a disability from once you're from when you're a young kid at least um the way that she wrote it for sam it very closely mirrored kind of my i hate to say upbringing but it like mirrored the way that i think about a lot of the things and especially the as they get older and when sam and sadie like really have it out they have like two or three times um mm -hmm. and they really are like no hold barred like the only way that you can really you can only really hurt the people that you know the closest by saying the things that you know are going to be very painful right and it's like right. so frustrating that sadie never wanted to give sam the benefit of the doubt on anything and that she had this very conspiratorial mindset about everything that he was doing but she's not wrong either and even if you do it with good intention manipulation is still manipulation right when he makes mm -hmm. the pioneers game everybody empathizes with him but nobody says that he's right you know right it is just like this insane labor of love he did for the person that you can't specifically talk for her mm -hmm. right you can't talk to her anymore so you have to essentially use every little bit of the dossier that you've built on her for 30 years to like oh not overwhelm her right because it took her a very long time to realize but like he eventually let that mask slip because he had to, because you can't keep up this this pioneer's life um, when they're, you know, in his eyes, there's still things that she needs to do and that she can do like within video gaming, because that's where she's a master. Right. So, right. I don't know, there's just a, there's a lot of the real world stuff that it is frustrating. And I guess that's also why I will, you know, look back on this book and think, yeah, I, I don't know if I'll recommend this to a lot of people because I don't know who else other than you guys would have read it anyways. But <laughs> there, there's a little bit of there. I don't almost feels like like an indie movie of sorts, right? Like, yeah, you want the two to get together, but at the end of the day, they're just going to shake hands and go about their separate ways. And there's that very bittersweet, yeah. melancholy feeling. But it to me, that feels real. It feels much more real than them being like you know what i do love you and uh, we, we're gonna get together go ahead yeah Katie. yeah no i just I, I agree with that i did like the way that it ended and the fact that they did come back together um and were at least on speaking terms but again i wish that they had been more open with each other and more accepting of the other person's side of things like they both were very much like well i'm hurting this sucks it's all her fault. I'm hurting. This sucks. It's all his fault. I know he's not doing it, but, and you, I, you kind of felt like Mazer was going to be, not Mazer, Marx was going to be the bridge between the two of them. And you did see that a couple times where he was just like, uh, she's doing it for you. Like, you know what I mean? And, and he, he was trying to be that bridge, the but he was level? also, yeah, he was also in his own unique position where he was just along for the ride, but also helping out in all the ways that the two of them 
were lacking. So I don't know. They were a great trio. They were, they were a fantastic trio. I think there was, there was a lot of personality um, between all three of them, you know, um, on one hand, you had the person who was, who, who was amazing at coding and she had all this heart with regard to those games. And then you had uh, Sam, the person who, you know, um, could, could build these amazing mazes and figure out like, you know, had this ability to puzzle things out and, and plan those things. And then um, Marx is just this amazing, uh, it turned out to be this amazing um, business guru, basically. And and being able to bring those two together, like you said, like it kind of has the bridge for the two of them. Um, even though, you know, at first, uh, you know, one of them, Sadie didn't even really want Marx involved, but without... Yeah. In my opinion, without all three of them, it wouldn't, nothing would have worked nothing, in the first place, you know? No. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it's alchemy, right? You can't just have, you know, sometimes you can get by with two ingredients, but really you need that third one that can translate between the two of them. It's almost like a sort of, like a coding language itself. It's like a game engine that she talks about all the time, which, you know, they she gets into a little bit about a game engine, but really all it is is just the set of tools and code you need to build a universe, to build a game world. That's all it is. Yeah, just even a- your explanation is still going over my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of that, a lot of the technical stuff clearly was just like, you know, your your eyes would glaze over just a little bit. I mean, but it was interesting to, to hear, like, to kind of just be behind, you know, where the sausage gets made and kind of see that kind of stuff. And like, you know, how much, how much like, uh, um, research could had gone to towards like her writing this story about people creating these games and this whole company you know what i mean um she went to school for anything other was she english did she go to school for gaming at all no oh yeah i have no idea that i didn't that i didn't find yeah it's um, not in a, i am I mean, the one thing yeah. that is very clear, and I don't know if you guys read the afterword or the acknowledgments, because I did, you know, she does quote, like, the first book she says on her research thing is Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, which is actually a book I have on my shelf. And that is not really a novel. That is basically 11 different stories of how impossible it is to make a video game. From, hmm. like, the biggest, like, fails that you would ne- would have never seen to, you know, the highest of high peaks that are, like, still talked about today. It is... It is magic. It's literally magic that games are made. And she get, she touches on it a little bit about crunch and stuff like that, which all crunch is, is just when you get close to, and this happens at every job, right? When you get close to the finish line, well, there's not enough hours in the regular working day to get it done. So we're going to have to work late and we're going to have to work weekends. And that should be like a very small thing. But on the bigger, the larger the video game, the longer your crunch period is. And that can last upwards of multiple years where people will like miss the birth of their children. Um, they'll miss everything to put out a game. Like it's crazy <laughs> that we, that companies like allow this to happen, but they don't. Oh, because, yeah. You know, um, I don't have any figures here, but like you guys have heard of Grand Theft Auto. Um, Grand mm-hmm. Theft Auto 5 came out in 2013. And they just released a trailer for Grand Theft Auto 6 last week. Now, you may have seen something on social media about it. I doubt you watched it. Why would you? But Grand Theft Auto has sold like over 100 million copies. It's made Rockstar, their publisher, billions and billions of dollars. So, like, why would they have any incentive to not do that again for number six? Um, 
it's just it's a crazy world video games are and i wanted to say one kind of final thing is that katie you mentioned in contrast uh to ready player one which i view as like fast food compared to this which is like you know veggies and tofu not that the player one is a total power fantasy right it kind of gives you everything that you wanted out of that world oh yeah the world sucks but like hey look at that you can live in your favorite video game and then your your life can be this video game quest and you have your your companions in your party and you become best friends oh you fall in love with one of them too and you end up saving the day and you're the ruler of oasis at the end of it right (laughs) what happens in ready player two i'm not don't particularly care but it is like that's just like the total fantasy where this does try and of course much different scenarios right but it's and yeah, this has such a more real world feel to it um mm-hmm. like, can, we just i, I want to go back to what you said about like the whole grand theft auto situation and like yeah. having tying it into this book specifically i thought it was cool to like see behind peek behind the curtains a little bit of people making those video games and you know especially you know we're gonna compare it to their itchy itchy go at first and it's like you know they don't want to make they don't want to be people who make sequels to things they want to make new stuff all the time and the thing is and i'm curious about the whole grand theft auto thing like I'm curious if that was similar for them. Did they want to be just these people just churning out Grand Theft Autos, just making billions of dollars constantly? Is that or was that the the, you know, the corporation part behind that? And, you know, the big wigs who was said, you know what, this made us billions of dollars. You're going to do it again. You know what I mean? Like, I love in this book that we see behind that a little bit and that they create their own business that allows them to make the things that they want to, while also, of course, you know, adding people on and saying, you know what, you work on the sequel to Ichigo. I don't give a shit about that. You know what I mean? I, I, I love that this book is really about people doing, becoming and doing the things that they want to do, you know, without, um, without the worry of, um, I don't know, uh, failing basically. I, I don't know. I mean, of course they, they worried about failing, but they still were able to do the things and and create these awesome places that people wanted to touch and feel and be. And, you know, so I thought that was really a really cool part of this. And, and like I said, I'm curious about the, the parallels to like things like big world games, like Grand Theft Auto, you know, do those people really want to keep making those games or is it something they have to do because it makes money for them? I think she gets at it at the very end of the book um, when Sadie's teaching in Cambridge and she's like updating Sam on kind of, or Sam's updating her. And then it's like, you know, um, Ant and Simon, the kind of the, the younger generation of Sam and Sadie that they were making yeah. what counterpart high number seven at the very yes. end. <laughs> so like that's, I, and I can, th- I can't speak for like real world with the people who make Grand Theft Auto, but I can think about it kind of like, you're a chef, right? You don't always get to set the menu. So like, are you okay doing the same dinner service every single day for a right. couple months? Or if you work at a at a place that has a specialty dish, right? Oh, you serve the duck larange and it's the best in town. Well, you're going to have to make that pretty much until the restaurant goes out of business. And some chefs would say, hell no, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. But other ones are like, hey, this pays pretty well. And you know what I can do outside of this? Work on my own dishes at home. And then I can bring those dishes at home to the head chef and be like, hey, we should run this next. That's essentially what she does or what they do in the book. 
uh, or that's more like what happens in real life video games. Hey, I'm working on GTA five, but in my spare time, I'm working on this small little text adventure or whatever. And it's like, like is, your, your passion project on top of like this other thing that, you know, is, yeah. it, it's you the bread and butter because it makes you money. <laughs> you can find the time and energy or whatever to convince your boss that this is something worth doing. And that's a part where this game is a little unrealistic to me. And again, I had a whole pedant tracker that I had talked about. I stopped doing that uh, mostly because <laughs> she also admits at the end that she kind of fudges some facts to make the story roll. Because, like, mm -hmm. the timelines for me were getting very confusing. Um, I was having a really hard time remembering when they even went to college. Um, because she would talk about video games coming out. And I'm like, well, I know that Metal Gear Solid doesn't come out until 1997. But you're saying that you it was late, it late been, 90s, right? Yeah, you would have college. had it in, like, 95 or 96. And she actually specifically mentions that one. She's like, yeah, that wouldn't have been out then. But, you know, I thought it was relevant for... <laughs> what i was talking about so i'm like okay fine right and quite frankly a lot of people who are reading this book aren't going to catch that kind of shit you know they're not they're not doing that like you know they're not main gamers like you um being like no that was you know that wasn't out then you know so i mean i would say if there was a, a novel that like heavily referenced harry potter but it wasn't the main thing that like you would then be like well oh, I absolutely and like it's yeah. kind of kind of taken me out of the of the story because i'm getting bogged down and trying to get these details correct in yeah i agree with you the reader rundown the line of the sentence last sentence of the jacket says yes it is a love story so it's not meant to be a video game story it just happens to be a love story that involves and includes video games correct correct yeah. absolutely and, that, and i i now remember why i brought this up i stopped doing my pet entry tracker about a third of the way through the book. Cause I'm like, Hey, who's this for? Nobody. Um, mm -hmm. All it's doing is making me read this with an incredibly critical eye looking for mistakes. And that's not a way to enjoy a book. Right. Exactly. exactly. It, it doesn't matter at all. It's just a little set dressing to set the table. And she drops some references and hints so that people like me knows that she knows what she's talking about when she's talking about video games, which is a, I don't know. <laughs> there's 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 some sort of divide there of like oh i'm writing to the gamers like well no you're not we just happen to read it too right yeah um well why don't we jump into some of the some of the parts in the book that you know anybody flagged or whatever um uh katie i know that you probably flagged something on page 142 you want to just get that out of the way right now yeah let's go ahead so uh sadie's sister's name is alice which is obviously one of my favorite names to be reading about in a book um but in 142 um there's a whole section on the night sam went missing it occurred to sadie that nothing in life was as solid state as it appeared a childish game might be deadly a friend might disappear and as much as a person might try to shield himself from it the possibility for the other outcome was always there we are all living at most half of a life she thought there was the life that you lived which consisted of the choices you made and then there was the other life the one that was the things you hadn't chosen and sometimes this other life felt as palpable as the one you were living sometimes it felt as if you might be walking down brattle street and without warning, you could slip into this other life, like Alice falling down the rabbit hole that led to Wonderland. You would end up a different version of yourself in some other town. But it wouldn't be strange like Wonderland, not at all, because you would have expected all along that it could have turned out that way. You would feel relief because you had always wondered what that other life would have looked like. And there you were. So there's our Alice in Wonderland theme. because right, you know. Alice in Wonderland, we got we to gotta have one of those in there. And I, I, I think that that's a really great place to, you know, for, for her to put that in the first place, because it's like, um, 
and it, and again, it goes back to the, the, like the multiversal feeling you get mm-hmm. kind of, or, or thoughts that they had, people had while reading this book and you know, whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's not really about that. Um, but there are those little inklings in here. Like you could, again, you know, you, you make a, a choice and one, you goes off this way and the other, you goes off that way. You know what I mean? So, um, and it's very, uh, again, reminiscent of games where you can, uh, you might die, but you just start right over again, you know? So, um, I I like that. That's a good, that's a good spot. Um, I'm going to start really quickly. I just, I wanted to briefly touch on, uh, Sadie's first game solution. Um, I I loved it. So did I, I, I thought it was amazing. I'm going to read a a quick thing. Um, let's see. Um, so basically, Sadie has to create a game in her class with another with a who is being taught by you know a game maker and she comes up with this idea the game is called solution the idea of solution was that if you ask questions and didn't keep mindlessly building widgets your score would be lower but you would find out who you were working that you we would found out you were working in a factory that supplied machine parts to the third reich once you had this information you could potentially slow your output you could make the bare number of parts required not to be detected by the reich or you could stop producing parts entirely. The player who did not ask questions, the good German, would blindly get the highest score possible, but in the end, they'd find out that their fa- what their factory was doing. Uh, fracture style script blazed across the screen. Congratulations, Nazi. You have helped lead the Third Reich to a victory. You are a true master of efficiency. Hugh Mitty Wagner, the idea of solution was that if you won the game on points, you lost it morally. Um, I thought that this was such a cool idea, first of all. And it... It, it literally shows like it within the first literal 32 pages of the game of the book, how mindless games and gaming can be, because it's very much like the point of the point of most games is to play it and to get the highest score possible. And what and that's basically how you are how you're thinking of this game. But she has created a game that if you're doing that, then you're the bad guy. So you have to kind of you play it the first time through and you're like, oh, shit you know, I am a Nazi. So now I have, now I can replay it again to figure out the way to maybe, you know, pair that back and try and try to be somebody better and somebody different. I thought that that was a really cool idea. Would you like to play this game in real life? Because it exists. It came out a couple of years ago. It was called Papers, Please. Um, no shit, really? <clears throat> well, and this is, again, video game pedantry aside, Papers, Please came out a few years ago. This book comes out a few years later. Certainly parallel lines of thinking, but I almost guarantee that she was influenced by Papers, Please because Papers, Please is a game where you play as some sort of clerk in an unknown Eastern European different universe sort of thing where you are checking people's passports to allow them to cross into your country. And you have you quickly find out you are working for a very fascist regime you have all sorts of people you can help by like fudging your forms. You can do the same thing where it's like, I can do the slowest amount of production to try to like, you know, not be the top Nazi. I'm the the bad Nazi, but the good person. Uh, this right. game makes you do that. And I think it's on Apple Arcade. It's It's kind of tricky to play because there are a lot of things you have to do. But if you wanted to kind of experience this, it exists. Oh, Interesting. I... Um, Katie's husband, Luke, just made a, a brief appearance on our, our screens. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, actually, I, I wouldn't mind looking into it and just seeing what something like that 
you know, but, but again, the, the experience is different because I now know that that's the point of the game. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but the you people first playing this game. Are, sorry. Still no, 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 no. It's just, really, no, the people first playing this are, it's just interesting. It's cool to not have those, to not have that knowledge until you've played and realized, oh shit, I did not play this game correct in the correct way, really. <laughs> well, and of course her thing is that there is no way, the only way that you can win that game is to not play it, essentially. Right, right, because right. Because right. you do, you're, you're hurting people and you are- You're still, you're still a Nazi. <laughs> and you know, you shouldn't think about things like that in the real world about the things we do at our jobs to- <laughs> Get by even unless you work for a very clear nonprofit, which is helping your community. Well, <laughs> if you work for a big corporation, you probably are exactly doing that same thing and you just don't know it potentially, or you yeah. do and you yeah. don't have a choice. Right, exactly. Um, my next my next um, flag is until page 152, I think. So Katie, do you have anything or, yeah, or 252? Have... I'm sorry. That's right. I have one on 110. Um, so one of the things that is mentioned multiple times is that Sam's mom, uh, Annalie, uh, is a, is a very common name. And actually when he was a child, he and his mother were walking down the street and a woman also named Annalie jumped off a building and killed herself, it jumped off a building with the intention of killing herself. She was not successful until later in the evening, um, right in front of them. And uh, there's a part where he goes into, I think, I don't, I don't know if it's a pizza shop. It's a shopkeeper. Um, it's a bodega. I think it's like a bodega across the street. Okay. So there's a Miss Pac-Man game in the back. Um, so Sam and his mom walk in and uh, she basically puts him there and, and says, you know, just hang out here. We'll be okay. Until um, whatever happens, happens. So she walked to the back of the store where Sam was concealed by the mammoth, cheerful shell of the Miss Pac-Man machine. From what Anna could tell, Miss Pac-Man was no different than Pac-Man, except that she had a bow and with a miss and was a miss, which in 1984 was an honorific that usually signified a feminist. Hi, Anna said. Hi, Sam said without looking at her. You can watch if you want. I'm going to play until the end of this life. That's a good philosophy, Anna said. She concentrated on the game and tried not to hear the nearby sirens that meant the ambulance had come for the body of the other Anna Lee. If you eat the fruit, Sam said, you can kill the ghosts, but only for a little while. And if you don't time it right, the ghosts can turn back and kill you. Amazing, Anna said. She decided that they couldn't leave the bodega. Oh, that's a bodega. You're right. Until this <laughs> had been cleared of the body of the other Anna. And sometimes you get an extra life, but you might kill yourself trying to get the extra life. So it's not always worth it. And I just thought um, that was, it, it really kind of encapsulated a lot of the book. And it's a recurring theme where, you know, you, video games you just get to keep playing you just get to keep mm -hmm. playing you always get another life but in the real life you're not always going to get another life and you have to live your life as well as you can with what you have around you whether it's the fruit or not so and I, I just i don't know i really like that part i think you you can contrast that with later in the book when sadie meets uh the version that sam creates of marks within pioneers right there's a mm -hmm. chance where you could relive that moment forever right Wait, Mark, who was Mark in Pioneers? So when she eventually, right before she leaves, she like finds that hidden breaker of horses, like the old guy, and that yeah. she like asks him a question. He like doesn't answer it <clears throat> the way she wants to, and then she asks him again, <clears throat> and then he recites a passage from uh, the Iliad. The Macbeth. Macbeth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was that from Macbeth, Macbeth or from the Iliad? 
because the oh, Tamer, I thought, of, I thought, okay. Tamer of Horses comes from the Iliad. Either oh, way, yeah, you're it, right. you're it, right. it doesn't matter because she has that option to stay in that world forever where you can't die. But she chooses to leave because. I don't know. Right. Because <laughs> I, mean, I, I can put my own extrapolation on it, but she's somebody who I think like craves authenticity by and large. Yeah. <clears throat> so what's clearly. the point of and is this the book that talks about having the AI in your head? Yep, um, when someone right. dies, right? That's that's, that's the same thing. She doesn't. The other quote that I have flagged. <laughs> but it's like she doesn't. Go for always... it, Katie. <laughs> well, I actually, I I do have one. I have one thing flagged, that is on page one ninety six, and this was more for me, kind of just. Uh, I was a little irritated at her writing style. Eventually, but you said <laughs> we 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 could have probably chopped off a minimum fifty pages. There are some like lists that she goes on that are like 50 items long for no purpose. Um, yeah. So I, I just found this. I just I could not help but laugh when I read this. No one's hair just looks that way, Lola said. She leaned in to kiss him and he kissed her. And then she put her hand between his legs, wrapping her fingers around the cylindrical chamber of blood sponges that was his <laughs> parenthetical and every in parenthetical penis. He felt the corpora cavernosa, commanded by nerve messages from his subconscious brain, fill up with blood and the tunica albuginea membrane, the penis's straitjacket, trapped the blood inside. He pulled away. And I'm like, I read that paragraph and I'm like, what was the point of that? <laughs> I, I get it that, that Sam thinks about things in a very particular, clinical, very clinical manner. But I just, man, that made me laugh. And I did write it down in my notes. Cylindrical blood sponges. Okay, I'm going to remember <laughs> that one. <laughs> Nothing else from this book. I'm, I'm sure in the next time you're in a bar, if you try to pick up somebody and mention your cylindrical blood sponges, yeah, they'd be exactly. all over it. Yeah. I was going to get 100%. thrown out of this bar already, but now they're going to do it for me. <laughs> so, so, Katie, the- what, was your, what was your other thing? On 381, so it's really close to the end of the book, um, and it's Sadie talking about Marx, and she said, after five years, she could finally hear Marx's name and not feel like weeping. She had once read in a book about consciousness that over the years, the human brain makes an AI version of your loved ones. The brain collects data, and within your brain, you host a virtual version of that person. Upon the person's death, your brain still believes the virtual person exists, because in a sense, the person still does. After a while, though, the memory fades, and each year you are left with an increasingly diminished version of the AI you had made when the person was alive. Um, I really, really liked that because I, I think it's true. And I do think, um, it, you know, I, you have those conversations with the same people. Like, I, I, I'll talk to my grandma in my head all the time, and it's not as easy to hear her voice back. And it it's terribly sad that that's that's what our brain has the capability of remembering. And, you know, the longer you have and the more memories you have, the the harder it is for them to fade. But they are still going to fade. And eventually they do fade and, and other things replace them, unfortunately. And it's just mm-hmm. I don't know. But I did like that. Plus the fact that AI is like a hot topic in the news right now. And Luke tried to talk to me about it the other day and I my eyes glazed over. But um, I knew that yeah. it is. It, it, it's a thing right now, like a big thing. <laughs> you know, Chris, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about and could speak on it, and I can't. <laughs> I'm good. Wow, it's it's not super necessary, but um, 
I wanted to briefly touch on uh, um, Sam Mazur as, uh, and you know, he changes his, his name to just Mazur at some point. Um, but his, uh, him as the mayor of Mapletown. And like, I just, I just thought that this was the town that I would really want to live in. Um, so it says by two, on page, this is on page 252. By 2009, Mayor Mazur ranked number seven in between the Serta counting sheep and the Coca-Cola polar bears on an ad week list of the most recognizable branded characters of the new millennium. The description of Mayor Mazur read, we debated about whether to add Mayor Mazur to this list, a cross between game character and branded character and the little hipster mayor of the little hipster town, Portland, Silver Lake, Park Slope. Where the hell is Mapletown anyway? Ultimately makes the list because he's been on about a million Etsy products and isn't he the mayor everyone wishes they had. Guns over boat and socialism rules, gameplay rewards conservation, try chopping down too many maple trees without replanting. Same-sex marriage was legal in M-Town way before it was in the U.S. Mapletown is probably the first MMORPG MMORPG your mom played, and that's thanks in large part to the branding of Mayor Mazur. He's friendly, he's hip, he knows the best places to buy pottery in Mapletown, and how to get that that fiddle leaf fig tree to grow in your living room. Sure, he's mining your data like everyone else, but he's one of the good guys, right? Love him or hate him. There are very few characters or brands that have become more associated with the utopian vision of Americans online than Mayor Mazur. Um, I, I, like, the second I read that, I was like, yep, I would live in this town a thousand percent. Yep. Like, that's like, if that town existed, I wanted, to, I want to be there. <laughs> I mean, so if it, and again, you guys aren't big gamers, but like, she's very clearly basing this off of World of Warcraft. Um, which again, even if you're not a gamer, I'm sure you've heard of it, right? It's been out for 20 years now. Known that World of Warcraft was even remotely close to Mapletown, though. But God, neither did I. <laughs> oh, that's part of you know she does a bit of her own revisionist history here too. In this in this alternate world where back in the mid 90s somebody would think to include gay marriage and ban guns in a vastly open world with a bunch of people in it that I'm just kind of like, all right, well, maybe in that world, but certainly not, right? We can't, we can barely do that today in the games that we have. But World of Warcraft, when it first came out, it was very, very much allowed you to do things like this. Like people, maybe it wasn't the intent of it, but it was folks just like you guys, non-gamers, women who are not, you know, in the gaming demographic that were like, oh, I can do kind of a lot of stuff in here that has nothing to do with fighting or it is the socializing it's collecting resource gathering think about animal crossing today right like i doubt either of you guys have played it but you would probably really enjoy it if you do because you know what it is you go around all your neighbors love you you decorate your house you do gardening and there's something very calming about that like you know when when uh when we all headed into lockdown March 2020, that's right when Animal Crossing, the new one, came out for the Switch. That was by far the biggest game in the entire world for about three or four months. And plenty of people still play it all the time. But if you've never tried out a game like that, I mean, I certainly could reach out to me offline. I'd be happy to recommend any of those games. But it's also, if you've gone this long in your life without playing video games, I would say then don't do it. Right? If you if you like- thirty and you never had a drink before, by God, do not touch it. Right, stay right, right, stay right. From it. That's funny because I, I think like you know um, when I was reading it, it, it just it made me think of games like The Sims, and I didn't really play those mm-hmm. games, but it's like you know those are the ones you know uh, or Second Life or something like that where you know people can escape their real life and be whatever they want to be in this town, mm-hmm. and that was you know another part of Pioneers where again 
we're talking about people living different lives. They're, they're falling in love with someone that they, you know, wouldn't be falling in love with in, in real life and, you know, getting married to someone game wise, and you can do whatever you want in that sense, you know, um, that's, I just, I, I really thought and think that that's a, a cool concept, obviously, but at the same time, it's not real life. And, um, I don't know, part of me is like, I've never played these games before. And do I want to start playing a game where, you know, I, I'm just, you know, this is my, this is my life here. And then this is my life. Can I somehow, somehow in some time they might not differentiate. I might not be able to differentiate myself from, from either life, you know, real life or, or game life, the you line, know, that kind of thing. The lines would blur. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The lines would blur for sure. And I'm, actually, um, Tim, I'm glad you said that it's not world of Warcraft. It is second life that really Maple Town is very misrepresented okay. of. Because in Second Life, you could do, there really was no, there was no combat in there, but you could uh, take lectures, you could own real estate, you could have stores that you would make real money on, potentially. And, yeah. you know, there are plenty of documentaries out there, but, like, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of different people around the world had, like, made real communities, fell in love, got married, IRL based on the relationships that you make, you know, between your avatars. Um, and like, that's that, that is still a massive part of gaming today. That's why Fortnite is so popular, right? It's not about the game itself. It's the fact that it's free. Everybody can play it. It runs on almost anything. And it's a great place to hang out with your friends in a virtual space, especially for like uh, kids that you guys have their age, right? Like that, that's what I've heard is that people go on there and they don't even play. They just chit chat and hang out with their friends. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, I mean, on, on one hand, maybe you wish that they would get out from off of the couch or behind the computer, but at the same time, they are doing something social with their friends and they're not out causing real mischief. So it's like, I don't know. You, and I'm killing some other people now and then, but you know, it's cool. <laughs> But it's it's virtual, right? I mean, if anything, and it, you know, she does talk about this with the school or with the school shooter, with the office shooter, you know, um, that there that is always the argument against video games is that it makes people violent. But I think there have been so many studies now that really prove that it's actually the opposite. That if yeah. you give, especially young men, a chance to murder a bunch of people in a virtual space. Well, then you probably won't feel as likely to do that IRL, <laughs> you know, hopefully. Um, IRL, I love it. You don't trans translate that with like Mario Kart, you know, got to be careful if you're doing a bunch of races and then go drive your car. You might be like, I'm because... just on the sidewalk. Why not? I got to get around these people. Let me just go yeah. out sliding on that banana. <laughs> exactly. So I, I want to like, while, because you just brought up the, the office shooter, um, uh, you know, and it also ties into the mayor of Mapletown. The reason why the office shooter comes into the building in the first place is because they do not like uh, mm -hmm. Mazer and the mayor of Mapletown's uh, politics, basically, in a fake fucking life, which which is, you know, absurd in itself. But these people exist, unfortunately. And, um, you know, it's uh, part of our world. Um, I think obviously the most devastating part of this book is um, that situation. And, you know, we hear about it. Sadie and Sam are, are away together. Um, um, I can't remember what they are promoting, but they're promoting some game. I don't remember which one. It's, it's her game. It's Masters of Rebels, I think. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. She's the one and, out there doing most of the press, but he's going yeah, along. Yeah. So Sadie is with Marks. You know, they she is pregnant with his his child. Um, they've been together for several years, and they hear randomly while they're on this uh, while they're on this tour that there is has been a shooting at a um, at an office building in Silicon Valley, and um, you know your your immediate sense of dread kicks in when you read that and it's like you know um okay because you know this is part of the story here i have a feeling that it's happening to to the people that we are growing to love and um unfortunately marx is caught in the middle of that and i think the chapter the npc chapter um is one of the most beautiful chapters of a book that i've ever read um and i'm i'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll I'll start. I'm just going to read obviously because it's it's long. But you know this is happening while Mazer is laying. Not Mazer. I'm sorry. Marx is lying in a hospital bed. He's been shot by these people, and um, this is another part of uh, of the multiversal things. And when I when I when you had texted me that you know you didn't know where the you know the multiversal time loopy thing had had come in, I said wait a little bit because you know you you'll get there if you haven't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so first it starts. I'm just going to kind of skip around a little bit. It starts. You are you are flying below a checkered board a checkerboard of country life. A pair of Jersey cows graze in a lavender field. Tails swatting at imaginary flies. A woman in a chambray dress rides a bicycle over a stone bridge. She hums the second movement of Beethoven's Emperor Concerto, and as she passes, a man in a Breton cap begins whistling the tune. From a hive you cannot see, the Cicerus, is that that the way to say that? Cicerus of bees. (laughs) In the valley below the bridge, an ink-haired boy feeds a sugar cube to a horse with a wild look in her eyes. A grove of apple trees waits patiently for fall. Unobserved, a graying man watches two teenagers swim in a pond. You can smell the man's longing, stronger than lavender, and you think, humans want so much, I am glad to be a bird. In a field of strawberry plants, waxy berries companionably, companionably mingle among white flowers. You have never been one to resist a strawberry, so you descend. As a winged creature, you are occasionally called upon to explain flight to the flightless. Your standard answer is that it's a combination of Newtonian physics, concer- concerted flapping, weather anatomy. But honestly, it's best not to think of the mechanics of flight while you're doing it. Your philosophy, surrender to the air, enjoy the view. You have arrived at your destination. Your small beak surrounds the berry, and you are about to snatch it when you hear the click of a trigger. Stop, thief. You feel the bullet penetrate your hollow bird bones. And then I'm going to skip to the end part, um, where it says on page 304, you are in the strawberry field. You are dead. A prompt comes up on the screen. Start game from the beginning. Yes, you think. Why not? If you play again, you might win. Suddenly there you are, brand new, feathers restored, bones unbroken, sanguine with fresh blood. You are flying more slowly than last time because you don't want to miss any of it. The cows, the lavender, the woman humming Beethoven, the distant bees, the sad-faced man and the couple in the pond, the beat of your heart before you go on stage, the feel of a lace sleeve against your skin. Sorry, guys, now I'm going to cry a little bit. Um, your mother singing Beatles songs to you, trying to sound like she's from Liverpool. The first playthrough of Ichigo, the rooftop on Abbott Kenny, the taste of Sadie mixed with and beer. Sam's round head in your hands, a thousand paper cranes, yellow tinted sunglasses of perfect peach. This world, you think. You are flying over the strawberry field, but you know it's a trap. This time, you keep flying. I, like, that's another... I'm sorry. I, I, get, I get so friggin' teared up with this shit. But, you know, I, I just... I I love that that's how Marx's story ends. Like, he has spent all this time with Sadie and Sam in these um, game worlds. And 
our time with Mark's ends, basically, yes, he has died, but he's almost, we almost find him living a new life and being able to experience these things again and in a different way. Um, I love that chapter. Love that chapter. It's my favorite chapter of the book without question. So how did you guys feel about the chapter? <laughs> I absolutely hated it. Um, I can't believe you called it. No, I'm just kidding. I uh, I did very much like that. Um, I, I will say that when you had, when I had texted you about the book and I knew you had already been done with it, you said, you know, you're going to get to the part, there's a middle part where it kind of drags on a little bit and they probably could have, she probably could have cut some of it out. And when I first got into that, I was like, this is going to be it. It's going to just drag. And I was like, no way. There's no way that this is what she was talking about. Yeah. Um, I did. I just, I, I don't know. The whole, the whole part of um, the, the shooting and you did say, you know, Sam and Sadie are on tour promoting one of the games and knowing that there's a terrorist or a, a terrorism event happening in their hometown. And you, you do feel that dread and you, you, I mean, in the book, you're assuming that it's them. Otherwise what's the kind of, what's the point of it happening? Right. Uh, but it, there's also the whole sense of it really could be, it could be their next door neighbors, which is still just as close and just as painful. So I, we, we talked briefly at book club this past week about um, the start of the semester and your school district having a lockdown and, and a, the threats and stuff like that. And it was just, it's not always, Oh my God, that's my kid. It's Oh my God, that's my best friend's kid. Like, you know what I mean? So like, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily as cut and dry as just, it's going to be this one. Um, I did. I, I, I love how diplomatic Marx was for the whole scene with the shooters. And he was, you know, he's putting the whole rest of the staff ahead of his own and trying to do everything that he always has done with every single scenario that he's involved in, where he's just trying to calm everybody down and rationally talk to people on a base emotional level. Like, dude, yeah, we can call him. Yeah, let's call him. He's not going to answer. OK, well, we'll call him again. He's not going to answer. No, he's really not upstairs. You want to go to his office? Let's go to see his office. Yeah, this is his fucking office because that's all the shit. Like, I, ju I just, I don't know. I, I did. It, it felt very real and like something that you could tangibly touch and like be. It, it felt it felt very, unfortunately, American. You know what I mean? It felt like yeah. something um, all of us can and may experience at some point in our life and um we could empathize with and sympathize with and um it was and and unfortunately you know it happens to your our avatar in the book you know in a, in a way like our favorite character in the book the person that we um are kind of seeing the life of sam and sadie through in in this set that sense so yeah. i think it, it hits harder that it's him and not one of the other characters in the book. You know what I'm saying? The, um, um, yeah. I stopped taking notes right at this spot. Second to last note. Little too cute with Marks getting killed in a work shooting? Or am I just <laughs> an asshole? And then, <laughs> space. Okay, I was just being an asshole. Marks' entire <laughs> passage was very touching, and perhaps my irritation is a sign that she's created characters that I have opinions on. Um, because I do, I did feel... As I said, I had a lot of things to nitpick, but I do agree that like that passage itself or that whole chapter was very was very wonderfully written. 
Um, obviously very touching because, again, I've been spending the maybe the previous third of the book being like, why are we learning so much about Marx? Why are we learning so much about Zoe? Why are we learning about all these background characters? Why are we learning so much about Sam's mom? Because there's got to be a time loop where then they're going to show us a different world where they made different choices, and then we'll see how that pans out. But no, not at all. She was just telling us more about these characters so we could get to you know learn about them a little more, um, care about them in a in, in a in a more important way, so I mean, she could the, kill them. So, like I said, I took a lot of notes for this, and like my big note at the top was that. Um, so, like, right, as we've discussed, you guys are not really gamers, right? But um, I had recently wrapped up a very large game called Cyberpunk 2077, which is, like, one of the bigger games that's out, or has been out for the past few years. I spent over 200 hours in this game over three different runs. And this is what's known as an RPG, a role-playing game. Yes, there's a lot of action and shooting, killing and stuff, but you get to define what your character does. Granted, you only have maybe a couple binary choices. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll get a third choice that's maybe a different one. But I I spent so much time in this game for, like, numerous years. They've had various iterations where they finally put out a latest patch where, like, the game is fixed. And it's how it should have been three years ago, getting back to video game production and crunch, a separate thing. But when I was getting towards the end of this playthrough, right, like, I was romancing someone. I was playing as a girl which there is a thing towards the end of the book where it's like she asks Dove, you know, Sadie asks her abusive now, I guess he's fine, ex-boyfriend or whatever, but, and I, I hated his ass the whole book. I couldn't stand him. Let's um, not re rehabilitate Dove, okay? <laughs> no, no, not at all, but just... Um, no, I'm talking about I'm talking about her rehabilitating his character in in the whole in the in the book in the long scheme of yeah. things. But anyway, but like you know, I I do often play as a as a different gender in RPGs because I've been a man my whole life. Why not try something different? Um, mm -hmm. But like I had I had a date in here. Like you you have like other characters that you like really get to know, and they have like five or six different endings. And I played through every single one of them. Each of which took me, I had to like replay a whole bunch of stuff every single time because I wanted to hear and see that how all my different choices made endings. And like, right, I'm not, I'm not an emotional uh, golem here. Like I'm not made of stone. I like this game, like made me cry like multiple times. And like, it really Aww. stuck with me, stuck me through multiple choices to like the fact that my character could make a choice where my romantic partner, Judy, like hates you or she gets like really... Like, you make a choice where you've had this thing living in your head and you can choose to just off yourself at the end of the game. Highly anticlimactic, right? But then the credits rolls and you start getting phone calls from your friends. And they're like, wow, V, which is the name of your character, basically like, what a fucking asshole you are that you killed yourself and left us here in this horrible world. It's like, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> great writing, you know? Like, so that's... That's my my flowers for for cyberpunk, um, but like the fact that she kind of that she is able to have different uh, again very video game like where you have this long story, but not every mission is the same, right? Yes, they they do Ichigo one, they do Ichigo two, start doing other stuff, but then you have a little diversion like the Mark stuff and a little diversion with the Pioneer stuff, like that is such a video game video game as book for her to have written um i know yeah i said i don't i didn't love the whole thing but like the core of it again especially if you're a if you play games and have 
had those sorts of experiences with like an interaction sort of fiction like it's it's unbelievable we've talked about the witcher before right the same company that made cyberpunk they did the witcher 3 and again such wonderful writing they had such a great character to work off of but like the 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 publisher that made it is a polish publisher like they actually cared about making side quests and things where you actually cared about them right it wasn't just go collect 10 herbs and bring it back it's like well you go to right. maybe get those herbs but then you come across a slightly and a, the only way to put it is like a very eastern european sort of quandary to do right oh you find the thing with the broken leg do you kill it to set it free or do you help it well if you help it then is it just going to have a more worse life after all like you really have to kind of it puts you Thank in you a things. situation yeah. where it's not everything is black and white there's all this gray in the middle and i think that this book does a good job with that too to tie it back absolutely to relevant of yeah, Sam and Sadie, they're both right and they're both wrong constantly. But I still, unfortunately, and I didn't really want to, I cared about Sam by the end of it, right? And, like, even though Sadie's very cold, she's written it to be pretty cold, I think. And I don't think that the author really necessarily gives her enough background either. Because I felt like you spend so much time with Mazer, and then you get, like, yeah, four pages about how Sadie felt about that. So it's like, how am I supposed to view this story when you're giving me so much perspective from one person? You know, I was, oh, I was like getting very irritated with Sadie, as I know probably a lot of us were. But also, you know, it reminds she reminds me a lot of my sister too. Like I could see, I see the real person that was probably influencing this character somewhere. So it's it's funny it's funny you say that because I wanted to like touch on Sadie a little bit towards the end here, um, because. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead, Katie. So I, I, you know, I've played video games. I'm definitely not a gamer with a capital G. Mario Brothers 3, I fucking, th over and over again. But as with going through that game multiple times to try the different options, that was very reminiscent to me of the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And that's... Mm -hmm. I lived where I would read through and be like, all right, so this time I'm going to go this way. And then, all right, well, I didn't really like the way that came back. So I'm going to go back five steps and then I'm going to go this way to see what happens next. So I did, I, it wasn't video games, but it was books. And that's what the podcast is about anyway. So go ahead. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's so funny. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Um, so, also, you know, you started, Sarah, I do think that, and I have no idea how you would even do it. I bet you two would probably quite enjoy Dungeons and Dragons or some sort of tabletop RPG adventure where, Katie, you bring up Choose Your Adventure, that's all Dungeons and Dragons or any other tabletop game. I use D&D &D just as overall, you know, a framework for it. But it's like you have somebody who is designing the game, your dungeon or game master, and then you have players like you guys. You have set parameters, but really you can then do anything you'd like, right? You can propose anything you would like to do within your skill set and then it's up to like the DM to allow that to happen. There are plenty of like yeah. they call one shots, which are just like maybe a couple hours. I don't know. At some point, we should really do it because, Sam, you know from the pig roast, like I'm always trying to add choose your own adventure type things. I did one this year that uh, kind of blew up in my face, but that was not <laughs> here fucking hilarious. I, hilarious. I think that the scenario I put together was pretty funny, but it's like if I had a dream job, it would be to write choose your own adventure books. I mean, well, I'm going to tell you, you were you were pretty damn good at it. My husband like nearly killed himself laughing. Anyway, um, I do want to talk, you know, about Sadie because you guys are talking about Sim, especially you. You talked about, you know, Sadie's coldness, and um, 
you in the beginning of our podcast, you had talked about um, how, you know, you you felt a connection with um, Sam and, you know, his his feelings and everything. And like it wasn't towards until towards the end of the book that I didn't I felt more of a connection towards Sadie specifically for one reason in particular. And I'll, I'll get to it. But I think the point, you know, of the whole of making her kind of a cold person it, throughout the whole book. And I mean, I don't know if it's the point, obviously, but, you know, it helped when when she got together with Marks that we kind of, you know, saw a different her come out and a better a better Sadie, you know, and mm-hmm. Sam didn't bring those things out in her. Sam brought seemingly the worst parts of her out, whereas Marks, you know, was a better fit for her. But um, towards the end of the book, when um, she's had her child, um, who she is named Naomi, um, of course, you know, this is after Marx has passed away. Um, I'm on page 381. Um, let's see. She could feel herself forgetting all the details of Marx, the sound of his voice, the feeling of his fingers and the way they gestured, his precise temperature, his scent on clothing, the way he looked walking away or running up a flight of stairs. Eventually, Sadie imagined that Marx would be reduced to a single image, just a man standing under a distant Tory gate holding his hat in his hands, waiting for her. Sadie got home from dinner around 1130. She paid the sitter and put her in a cab. Naomi was already in bed, but Sadie still went to look at her sleeping. Sadie loved watching Naomi sleep. Sadie was not a natural mother, though this was not a confession one was allowed to make. She craved solitude and personal space too much, but she loved this girl nonetheless. She was trying hard not to romanticize her daughter's personality. She didn't want to ascribe characteristics to her that were not truly hers. A good game designer knows that clinging to a few early ideas about a project can cut off the potential for the work. Sadie did not feel that Naomi was altogether a person yet, which was another thing that one could not admit. So many of the mothers she knew said that their children were exactly themselves from the moment they appeared in the world. But Sadie disagreed. What person was a person without language, tastes, preferences, experiences? And on the other side of childhood, what grown-up wanted to believe that they had emerged from their parents fully formed? Sadie knew that she herself had not become a person until recently. It was unreasonable to expect a child to emerge whole cloth. Naomi was a pencil sketch of a person who, at some point, would be a fully 3D character. Um, this made me really, like, really relate to Sadie a lot. Because, um, especially the line where she says Sadie was not a natural mother. Because I often, you know, I have always wanted children. I've always, it was always my dream to have them. And I have two wonderful, beautiful children. But I don't find that natural that motherhood comes naturally to me. It's a struggle every single day to to know what to do and how to do it. And I watch my husband just be this amazing father and everybody around me sees it as well. My mother constantly telling me how lucky I am that I married this person who is such an amazing father, never once telling me how amazing of a mother I am, you know? So it it made me realize Sadie is more of a real character than we felt and and thought about in the beginning of the book. And by the end of the book, after we've ha- she's had the, these experiences with Marx and she's grown and she's, um, you know, seeing this other this other person um, through her eyes. Um, it, it's it's just interesting and it made me feel um, seen in a way. And um, it's it's all all of that is very true as well. Like you know, we don't come out of our parents, our mothers' wombs as a as a person. It, we're a thing that can't even communicate other than just to cry. And you know, um, we have to guess at what they're what they're feeling and thinking. And so I loved that part of the book. I I I thought it it um it just really stuck with me a little bit. So I would just like to say first of all that you are an amazing mother. And oh, thank you. 
I will be happy to do so because I think you are amazing. Um, I also think that it is our nature as mothers to doubt what we do and how we do it. And if we're doing the best decisions and, you know, is it true that for some people that they just come up with the right answers and they know the right paths and they have the right plan for their kids as opposed to constantly going, well, I guess I should probably correct them from saying that again, but it really wasn't that bad, but, 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 and doubting mm -hmm. every step of every day and everything that in every interaction basically is, is that going to result in a better human? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't have any children and I'm not a mother, but <laughs> I can only think that if you're doing, if you're legitimately trying to do a good job and you're a good person, which I know you are as you are as well, Katie, then like you're, you, that'll, that will flow down, right? Like common decency is something that is easier to see displayed by like your parents or whomever than just being told a lot of the times. And like, you know, I spend time with my sister and her son just turned five yesterday, right? Like she has, as I'm sure every mother does, a lot of these same questions of, I have no idea how to do this. We're just going to do it. We're going to wake up the next day and just try our best once again. Absolutely. It's going to be easy, but you know what? What I hate to say, what's the alternative, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to get up and you got to get up. And then everybody's always hungry all the time. <laughs> yes, so true. Everybody always wants a snack. Um, I, I that is that is concludes my portion of anything that I, I wanted to talk about. Does anybody have any final thoughts that they want to go before I have we one, go to the epilogue? I just had one other note written down for page 303. And all I wrote down was peaches. And there was a whole section where they were talking about like these giant peaches that can't ever be shipped um and they're just just delicious and i i loved that section i'm not going to read the whole thing but i just loved the concept of the fact that there's something that is so delicious and tasty that it really can't be shared anywhere it is you have to enjoy it at that moment and only at that moment and i'm sure there's greater comparisons that i can make to all sorts of other things but i just really also love peaches so that <laughs> um, you know the the final thing I'll add is that, you know, um, they talk about Easter eggs a lot in here, which if you're not familiar with an Easter egg is, right, well, they have them in the MCU and stuff, but it's just, you know, it's a little detail tucked away for the, the huge fans that other fans won't see, but shows how cool you are. Um, she has those little Easter eggs tucked in everywhere. And even, Katie, we were just saying about that peach, like that brought to mind like five different ways that that also relates to the story, too. Which, again, I, I sound like I'm being critical about this book. Well, because I am, but I did enjoy quite a bit of it. Um, I Just because I say Sadie's cold doesn't mean I dislike her or think that she's not a real character. Um, if you're a woman in STEM, I would imagine you kind of have to be, especially uh -huh. back in the 90s. Um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I overall, I thought it was a good book. Got some quibbles, but again... It's it, it hits pretty close to home a lot of places. There, I was trying to flip through the book while you guys were reading your own quotes, especially towards the back end of the book. Um, and maybe because I'm precious and sensitive about death all the time, but it's like she has some of these paragraphs that, like, you know, I don't can't even recall like one in particular, but it's just like she had some real good turns of phrase in there, and she is a very good writer. I would be interested to check out maybe one of her other books. 
um, to see, but you know, He's I don't know. several. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. So, hey, Philcroy one, Fickroy, Fickery, whatever. That definitely crossed my plate a, a few times, and I just haven't. I need to go back and look and see what it is, and probably put it on my list. The storied life of A.J. Fickery. Southern California Independent Booksellers Association Award and Japan Booksellers Award, amongst others. All right. Well, she's an award-winning author, which we, you know, which is great. Um, it's funny because a lot of people, when I, when I, when I was looking up this book in particular, um, a lot of people thought that this was her debut novel. Like they would write about it as if this was her debut novel, but she had, I believe she had written, wrote, wrote nine books before that and like was a best-selling author already, you know? So it was pretty interesting, but um, uh, that's all I've got guys. Are you, how you feel? Everybody good. You want to move on to the epilogue? Yeah. Epilogue. Let's do it. Um, so Katie, I had to broach a, I wanted to broach like a, a thing with you. Um, as everybody, everybody who does listen to us knows that this is our last episode for, um, probably until sometime in February, we haven't decided when we're coming back yet. Um, and we, you know, we have a few books on our list right now, but I'm not even going to get into that right now. We'll put that all up on, on our, our, our social media, which is Instagram because fuck Twitter, because fuck Elon Musk. <laughs> and I was like, why the fuck did she do that? That's how we ever get all to like like us, but I totally get it. So I get it. It just I can't do it anymore morally. I can't do it anymore. So okay. um, well, you know, I was I again. Well, I want maybe you and I can get together because I do want to start working on TikTok too. We can do more on TikTok. But anyway, um, I wanted to broach the subject with of with you of maybe not doing our first episode back a uh, our typical book reading, but maybe we could do a catch up of like books that you and I have read through our time off and you know what was what was our favorite book of 2023 and you know that kind of thing and um you know and then you know what we're looking forward to and look doing in 2024 so um idea because I think we're both going to have a whole giant list of stuff that we read and we can talk about each of those as opposed to also having It'd be like a giant preamble, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, let's let's that will hopefully be our first episode back in 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 February when we come back. And um, we just want to say happy holidays to everybody. Um, thank you for sticking by us and and listening to us. Those uh, those people that do, we really appreciate it. Um, follow us on Instagram and hopefully TikTok in the coming months or <laughs> weeks. And um, please, please, please join us next time. When we make your to be red pile one book shorter. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Goodbye. To be read is hosted by Sarah Westcott and Katie Willie. Produced, edited, and mixed by Chris Turrell. Logo concept art by Rhiannon Kenfield. Graphic design by Steve Pius. Theme song, Read to Me, written and performed by Austin Maffa.